episode 166, Speargun Accurizing with the Coatsman. Chris joins me today to talk about fixing common speargun accuracy issues based on a couple of blog posts that he's written and uh, and YouTube videos that he's got on the Coatsman YouTube channel. As always, a pleasure, a gentleman. And as usual, open me up to a few different ways of looking at things and thinking about spear guns. It's a cool episode today. If you want to miss less fish, today's episode is perfect for that. That's what spear gun accurizing means. Uh, I had to look the word up. I'm going to be honest with you and just wanted to chuck it a new word. So uh, anyway, welcome to episode 166 of the Noob Spear Podcast. It's interviews with spearfishing experts, authorities, and characters from around the world. I am the show's host, Isaac, a.k.a. Shrek, and... Uh, I just have a ball bringing this podcast to you every week at, well, at this stage, at at this month, it's been every week. Generally, it's once every fortnight or every two weeks, but uh, I'm hoping at the end of the year, uh, if we can get the patrons up, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to try and make one episode every week into 2022. That's my big goal and my big visions. Talking about big goals, big visions, 99 Spare Recipes is absolutely flying along. Submissions close on August the 30th. Please get your submissions in. I'm so excited. I've got more than 120 recipes in the tank, ready to rock. Cracking photography from legends from all over the world, actionable meals for the everyday diver. If you want to submit a recipe, go to noobspira.com forward slash submit recipe. It's noobspira.com forward slash submit recipe. If you just go to noobspira.com, you'll find out the submission link there. Put in your recipe. Just need some good photos, uh, ingredients with quantities, a method, some mad facts about the fish, a couple of good photos, and away you go. Now, uh, 99 Spare Recipes will be on crowdfunded. It'll be crowdfunding on Kickstarter later this year. I'm super excited about this project. Um, another quick shout-out, 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing has got a review, another new review on Amazon. Uh, JG says, fantastic tips derived from real-world experts. The tips here work and cannot be gained without years of shooting. Most strongly recommended would buy again and again. Thanks for that review, JG. Um, always good. If you want to buy a book at the moment, by the way, head into your spearfishing retailer and ask them why they don't have it on their countertop. I'd be more than happy to send them a box and uh, get those books flying off their countertops. If you want to buy it direct from noobspear.com, even better. Go to noobspear.com and buy a copy, a softcover copy of 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing. I've got a 1,000 copies in my garage. <laughs> Also, if you go to noobspear.com, head up into the menu. There's a section called Nooba Stories. Um, if you have thoughts about an episode that you want to share, uh, like a, a previous episode, if you have a new bit of gear that you love, if you've had you know, a close call, a near miss, and you want to share about it and the lessons learned, leave me a voice message. Go to noobspear.com, head up into the menu, find Nooba Stories, leave me a voice message, and I'll try and get it in an upcoming episode. Um, also, last but not least, Couple of reviews for the podcast. Uh, Luke G from America says, always helpful in education. This is truly a podcast for Noob Sparrows and I really appreciate it. It's always got new tips and reminders that I value and it's presented in a very organized and entertaining format, not to mention the great accents and Aussie humor. It's always good for a laugh. Thanks for continuing to and it cut off the rest of his, rest of his review. But uh, Bradley, also from America, says, great info for noobs and mossbacks alike. Always a worthwhile listen. The stories from guests are educational, informative and entertaining. The perspectives of different spearers from around the world are enlightening and remind all of us spearers that we're connected through our passion for spearfishing responsibly and sustainably. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Bradley, and thanks, Luke. Awesome reviews. Let's get into today's episode with the Coatsman. Spear gun accurizing. I want to miss less fish. I know you do too. Here we go. 
Adreno stock all the equipment noobers need for freediving and spearfishing. The Adreno spearfishing team will help and advise you about equipment, diving, trips, dive locations for spearos, and aspiring spearos of all levels of experience. Visit them in store, chat to one of their friendly team members. They've got stores in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and Perth, and there's a new one on the way. Also, don't forget to take advantage of the Noob Spiro discount code and save $20 on every purchase over 200 That's right, you can now use the code NoobSpiro in store. Yeah. Today's Noob Spiro podcast is brought to you by Neptonics.com. For US divers, Neptonics is the one-stop shop for all of your spearfishing essentials. They've got free shipping on every order over $99. Now you can use the Noob10 code to save 10% off anything and everything store-wide. 10% off store-wide. Use the code NOOB10 at neptonics.com. Boom. G'day, guys. Today, we're in for a little bit of a treat. I've got a return guest, the Coatsman. He uh, he hasn't been back for a dedicated episode since episode 21, which is way back in the day. But today, it's Speargun Accurizing with Chris, the Coatsman. How are you, Chris? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Good, thanks. Good to be here. Accurizing is actually a word. I looked it up. So today we're going to look at how to, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to look at how to fix common speargun accuracy issues and get your technique right. Now um, we're going to chat today based pretty much on two videos on the Coatsman's channel. You can uh, follow along on YouTube. Join fifty thousand other subscribers on there. Um, these guys in South Africa love to geek out on their gear. The Coatsman, he's a hundred percent guilty of this. He's uh, regularly down at uh, Rob Allen's workshop there. He just sent me a video, actually, of some um, some barrel testing. Tell me a little bit about that. What's go, what's the go there? Yeah, so that's the uh, the CDL barrel, the carbon barrel, which I've been developing over the last few years. And um, the problem with building anything in the spearfishing market is that you've got to build it absolutely 100% bulletproof. The thing can never come back. You know, once you sell it and it goes out the door, it's you know, that's the last time you ever want to see that thing. So, um, yeah, we've been building and testing and testing and building, um, finding failure points. And that video was just uh, trying to break the barrel. We loaded it up to 400 kilos and it broke the straps. It didn't break the barrel. It, that's pulling 400 kilos just smack in the middle of a 130 barrel. With those carbon um, barrels, is, is that a the pull trusion process that Rob sort of mucked around with? Is that what you're doing to make them or...? No, so uh, Rob's got this, his pultrusion machine for doing the standard his rail barrels, these sort of the normal standard Rob Allen barrel, and that's crazy. That's 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 really good tech. I mean, there's nothing out there like that. Um, this is these barrels are made uh, with with a mold and a bladder with uh, pre-preg pre-preg carbon. So it's in a mold, and this is hollow. I didn't want to go foam because foam is actually um, pointless because foam compresses at about not even a bar. So, you know, your barrel, the barrel um, itself needs to be strong. You can't try to fix a bad barrel with foam. So we've been testing and breaking and pressure testing all the barrels. It's, it's been a bit of a process trying to find the, all the weak points, but we're getting there. We were speaking candidly before the show and you were telling me, how terrible we are at business, but the fact that anytime you post something, everyone's got heaps of orders coming at you and you can't keep up with the orders you've already got going. So um, it sounds like you need a hand over there, Chris. 
<laughs> yeah, I need a hand at, at the factory building the barrels. That's where I need a hand. If I can get those things out so I, I can fly, you know. But we're getting there. I'm not straight. Mate, I'm always excited to catch up with you and talk about what you're going on. Um, if it's not exciting spearfishing trips and videos, it's bloody some new gear stuff. So awesome. Hey, accuracy is a massive thing. Like um, if you talk to a Spiro that hasn't missed a fish, um, I think that Spiro is just 100% lying. Uh, we all we all go through these sort of these temporary issues with our accuracy when you why the you know the guys are starting out have the more obvious accuracy issues, but I think every Spiro, whether it's a period of adjustment with a new gun, whether it's they've changed something on their setup and it's affected things, I think it's an issue for everyone that shoots a spear gun. Am, am I right? Um, yeah, you are right. You are right. But in that, like I will. When I've, when I've been working and I'm diving and I'm on charter, I, I even say to myself that I don't miss. And it's a, and damn it, you don't. If you've got all your gear um, dialed in and, you know, everything's right, then the times you miss are so infrequent. And if you do, it's generally an equipment failure. Um, you shouldn't, there's no, spearfishing is not that difficult if you know how to get close to fish. Yeah, I mean, I look at guys like the really good divers out this way and flip me, those guys don't miss. I mean, they'll fluff, they'll fluff a fish, every, everybody fluffs a fish every once in a while, but that's because you're taking a flyer or it's a difficult shot, you know, and you kind of go, mm, I'll take a chance. You can't really count those shots, you know, um, as hitting or missing. So what's the difference between your average uh, weekend warrior like me and then someone that's out there dedicated competing more regularly. Is it, is it time in the water? It's just time in the water and getting, getting yeah, everything dialed down, building your confidence. Confidence is, your, is possibly the biggest thing outside of your actual equipment is your confidence um, because it's how you react in the time before the shot that actually determines whether the shot's good or not, and that's all confidence. So how do, you, how do you build your confidence? Is it target shooting? Is it, is it being systematic with gear prep? Yeah, um, getting in a pool um, helps put everything onto a level playing field, you know, and kind of learn and understand things in a pool. But it's just, it starts with good gear. That's why I started with that video series with uh, eight tips on spear gun accuracy. Because if you don't have your, um, your guns dialed in properly, you can forget about shooting straights. It's, everything's about the gun. So get your guns dialed in and then and then you know work on everything else. Let's do that then. Let's 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 um let's go to some of the main points from your video and um by all means I'd encourage people to go and watch the video on Coatsman's YouTube channel because you'll see some of the 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 actionable tips he's got there for helping you to correct any of the issues that we have. So I think number one was um straight shafts. Yeah. So if you're ever having an issue in the water, well, an issue and you've missed or you, you're missing, oh, man, most times it's a bench shaft. Like I'll have guys come in the workshop here and it's, oh, I can't hit anything. And almost always it's a bench shaft. So, yeah, that's the first thing to always check is to check your shaft. I mean, you, you should actually check your shaft before you go dive. If you're going diving the next day, you should actually take your shaft out, roll it, like ninety percent of issues, it's 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 caused by um by by guys not having a straight shaft. And you talked about the rolling technique. Um, that I, I think if people could watch the video, they'll get that visual reference there of exactly how you do that. 
But you were saying like you don't always do it every day, but if you've got an, I think you were saying if you've got an inkling that there's any sort of defect, then, then you do the roll test, is it? Absolutely. Well, I always dive with two guns. Even if it's a shore dive, if I'm going on a boat, I'll take more than two guns. My friends hate me when I go diving because I'll take um, two of every gun that I want to dive with that day. If I've got, I'm diving with a 90 and a 110, I'll take two 90s, two 110s. Well, I actually don't have two 90s at the moment. But when I was diving a lot here at home, you know, that's how I'd, I would dive. Because if I missed a fish or if I shot a big fish and I, you know, like you could sometimes get a sense that the, that fish would have might have bent the spear, just swap over straight away. Do you have a shaft material preference these days? What are you, what are you rocking? Uh, I only, well, living here in South Africa, these uh, 2,500 MPA sprung steel shafts from Rob Allen are pretty much the only thing to go to, you know. They're a pretty tough shaft. Do they? Do they? Can you straighten them out, or is it is it game over? Any shaft, yeah. You know, um, I'm very fortunate to live fairly close to the dive factory. I've known Rob and Jeremy for sure almost thirty years now, and Rob's got a, a special bench, like steel bench for straightening shafts, and he's got like a preening hammer, and there's a whole process that he does for straightening shafts. And he showed me how they roll it and you find the, the high points and straighten it and everything. It's a complete art to do that. And, I mean, he can do it. I mean, at one stage, every single shaft would go through his hands. And they, but they're up to like, oh, man, a thousand shafts a day almost. So they, they've, yeah, so, but it's an absolute art to straighten shafts. You can't, I mean, you can kind of make a really bent shaft kind of straight over your knee, but those are never much good. I mean, we're lucky they're cheap here, so we just to swap them out as, you know. Uh, so shaft here is like 300 rand. What's that, like 30 Aussie dollars? Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, the number two point, you said correct shaft. Now, this seems to be a common one. A lot of guys that I talk to with any sort of engineering background will say, like, you've got to have your rubber diameter correct with the shaft diameter, and there's a there's a good marriage um, how do you obviously what do you think of the standard configurations that come on most spear guns? Yeah, that frustrates me a lot. Um, what's what's happened is there's a, like a lot of uh, the market dictates what the manufacturers build. And that's actually one of the reasons why I did those um, unrolling the roller videos with the different setups. My opinion. Those are the setups that work on those guns. There's like, you know, the, like a, one, a 110 works best with a certain setup. I'll cover those in the videos, you know. But the market goes, everyone always wants more power. They want to have a thicker shaft. They, you know, they put seven and a half more shafts on 90s with 16 more rubbers because they want to get as much power out of the gun as possible. Or they put thin shafts on and those whip uh, and they just don't work. Conventional guns, um, conventional guns, the same story. Is the guys put thin shafts with too much power and they whip too much recoil. But Josh, setup's important. A lot of a lot of guys, like Duncan Henderson's made big comments to me about alignment between uh, your handle with the top of your handle and and the barrel. And if you have gap and play there, you, you, that can cause big issues. What's your opinion on that? 
Are you talking about uh, this height here? How high you come up on the handle? No, specifically how the 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 rear of the shaft butts into the into the handle, and how if there's a drop or a rise from where the 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 handle bump bunches into the um, into the barrel. So if there's any drop, noticeable drop between the barrel and and the oh, absolutely, yeah, because yeah, yeah. some guns he showed me even in the shop, some guns came straight out of the shop, and there's like there's faults with it. The rail doesn't line up with the yeah. with the rail. Yeah. So honestly, that's one like guys say to me, why do I just stick with Rob Allen stuff? And primarily for one reason, here in South Africa, obviously it's like I've got it's accessibility. But I mean, I've got clients and stuff that have got endless amounts of money and they'll buy anything and send me anything to build. And I've done special projects for guys with different uh, manufacturers, handles and barrels and things. And every single time you land up filing down those barrels or trying to line stuff up, nothing lines up, nothing. It's absolutely frustrating where Rob Allen stuff, you just put it together and everything is like everything. Yeah. Everything is just designed to fit together properly, you know? Um, and it makes assembling stuff like, literally between hours and minutes, you know, because you don't have to, you just put the stuff together. Yeah, so I've tried to pull my, my barrel to that same spec so that, uh, you know, it, it just dovetails with the Rob Allen stuff. So if guys, if like we're just getting back to that correct shaft configuration for the, for the gun you've got and the, and the, and the band diameter, if guys have any questions or concerns about that, obviously they can go and watch the unrolling the roller um, series on YouTube. Is there anywhere else where there's like um, some approximate um, guidelines for people to go and look at? Sure, I did. Um, I remember you had some old blog posts. You know, I, you know, I did those old articles with the mags. Yeah, but you know the. So I did those articles about seven years back in the in the magazine, and then I did some blog posts. Uh, but that was all fairly old info. Um, that's also why I redid those videos because we did those articles about seven years ago. And then in that seven years, there's been a lot of trial and error and sort of people using, you know, roller guns have be, you know, become fairly popular in that time. So there's kind of been a lot of, a few little changes, little tweaks that guys have settled on. And that's what I landed up with the videos, like kind of the same idea what was written in the article seven years ago, but with what's kind of, tried and tested and people have, you know, are using, you know. Um. It's a weird thing, isn't it? Like um, uh, like there's the, there's the engineering crew and then there's the, the bro science anecdotal stuff and it seems like you guys quite often, it's about marrying those two things. It's like having these anecdotal ideas and then trying to put them through the, the – uh, the, the stress of, you know, proper engineering or, you know, repetitive tests, like actually proving and validating some of these old school ideas. I think practicality actually trumps the science often. How, how the thing works in practice is, is often more important, especially with spear guns. So you can make a spear gun do like a roller gun. You can really power it up. You can make it do all sorts of things. But in practice, what is actually practical in the water, like in terms of loading the gun, how the gun feels, the buoyancy, you know, um, 
those things, uh, those things make a great gun. It's not just the science. It's actually um, how fast can you load the gun, how much energy you need to put into that gun for, you know, like if you just got a reef gun or you're in competitive spearfishing, you don't want guns that take long to reload and consume too much energy. You want to load that gun, take two breaths and dive, you know? So yeah, it's not always a science. I think it's practicality is a huge thing in spearfishing and guys often newbies that come onto the scene um, they get into the whole thing and they go, Oh, but we can, if I put a bigger rubber, bigger shaft, I can put more power, I can shoot a fish further away, you know, but they haven't, they haven't worked through all the practicalities of um, functional spearfishing. Do you think that's the nature of it too? It's like everyone has to learn the hard way a little bit. Yeah. Some guys don't. I think the Americans <laughs> feel better on the Americans. They, they stuck in the bigger, faster, harder, uh, you know, if you could put a V8 in it, no, of course you're going to put a V8 in it. <laughs> you know, um, uh, yeah, it's different cultures too, you know. So I think the Aussies, they, they're not so hung up on, on having the biggest, baddest, most powerful thing in their hands, you know. Most people, I, th- I think everyone just wants a spear gun that works. Like, you know, like if you pick a spear gun up and you hop in the water with it and you have any doubt with it like it's just like you're just like i'd rather just throw it on the boat and grab my other gun that i know works even if it's underpowered like well other people might accuse it of being underpowered at least you like if you know something does the job it's like just you've just had that i don't know you just feel good getting in the water with it because you like when you when that special fish comes along you really just want a gun in your hand that you know is going to do the job if you have any doubt about that or you ruin that opportunity like it's just so frustrating Absolutely. Um, I know guys that won't go into rollers because they're so, so dialed in with their conventional guns that to go and change something, you know, is just the thought of having to go and relearn or change a gun too traumatic. They'll just rather stay with their conventional guns, you know, and that's just the truth of it. It's like when you found the thing that works, you know, to go and change, changing stuff is, is, can be a process and, yeah, um, that is so true. If you, once you've got that magic um, gun, uh, you stick with it. Yeah, well, it's, it's like brand preferences too with spear guns and wetsuits and everything. A lot of it's like no one – we don't really have a matrix for scoring stuff. And if we do, then even the people that would provide scores for whatever bit of equipment we were testing would be incredibly subjective and, um, you know, obviously – yeah, biased, extremely biased, and we're all guilty of it. A lot of it just comes down to what you started with and what your personal preference is. Look, absolutely. There's, I mean, there's a lot of good equipment, and there's also like tons of like crazy, like like you're talking earlier, like the barrel and the and the mech don't even line up on some on, and that's and I see that in some like big brands, you know, like brands that you'd expect to have everything dialed in, and a simple thing of their, their rail not lining up is an issue, you know. But that said, I mean, most guns, and that's why in that first video I said it doesn't matter what gun you've got. You can, if you put the right setup on them, you can make almost any gun accurate. You know, like you hear guys on the internet or conversations that one, one brand is more accurate than another brand and that kind of stuff. Most of that is bullshit. It's a stick. It's a stick. It's a straight stick with a with a muzzle on the end and a, and something that releases the shaft on the other end. 
it's like the 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 science is actually in the setup, not not so much in the gun, unless you've got a really badly designed gun where the barrel bends or the rails not lined up or that's pretty much what you're looking for then when you go into a shop, isn't it? Just the alignment, like slide the shaft in and out, make sure that it just travels nicely through it. And then um and then I guess but there's a lot, a lot of stuff comes into it because, um, and I want to talk with you about the aiming, aiming techniques and stuff. But uh, like the trigger tension and stuff is like not, it's not so, something that's within your control in, in spearfishing. Whereas when you go and buy firearms, uh, like one of the first things like marksmen will do is they want an adjustable trigger pressure so that they can have it tuned exactly the way they want and generally a lot of the guys will use hair triggers and stuff like that and spearfishing we're using a friction-based mix so it's a different thing again as well but the handle shape seems to play into it massively what you're used to and the way the gun because it seems to be like you either twist or you pull and that that seems to throw shots as well but i don't know absolutely so that's so guys i mean i'm building everything other than the handle and the shaft. So the two things I don't make are shafts and the handle. And for a very, very specific reason is that they're the two most difficult things to make and get right. I think guys, you see guys come in and they suddenly making mechs. I think that's foolhardy at best. Eh? Um, they are so difficult to get right. The, the trigger pull needs to be consistent whether you've got a 90 or a big inverted 130. And that should be, I can't remember, I think, I don't know what the Rob Allen spec is. I think it's like, it's the same spec as what you have on a Glock. I think it's like a four pound or something trigger pull. And, they, and they've, they've kind of worked it so that that, that trigger pull is the same as what, what you'd have on a Glock because that's a very similar sort of, yeah, you've got to have a, a, a nice squeeze on it, you know, so, and to have that consistency over a range of different loads and also um, it needs to do that uh, 2,000 shots later kind of thing. So they've got a machine that just fires off on their mech all day long. It's thousands and thousands of pulls and it measures the, the trigger pull and the load so they can vary the load and um, they check the trigger pull to see that the trigger pull stays the same after thousands of shots in water. And I've seen, watched them like slowly progress and tweak and tweak and tweak that mech, you know, over the years. And man, you're talking fractions of a mill, like on material and different materials. It's very, it's not something that you just open up a CAD design and cuts up some stuff because that's what, you know, you, you've reverse engineered somebody else's mech. I think you, yeah, not easy. It's disappointing at times. Like one thing I love about spearfishing is we see like a lot of small innovators and I, and I love it. I love seeing innovation. I like seeing people try and do things in their backyard and I, and I try and encourage it and give people a voice for, for whatever it is they're trying to do. Cause I'm one of them. <laughs> Yeah, well, passion fuels it, you know. Like you, you, you're not you're not setting your sights on being a billionaire by designing spearfishing equipment. Yeah, you know, you do you're doing it out of passion and love. Hopefully, it can be profitable, which I, no no one should ever begrudge to a spearfishing manufacturer. But but I guess there is starting to be a, a thing where people do try and reverse engineer and copy things, and we're seeing it with a few different products around the traps. It's a little bit annoying. Everything. There's uh, one thing you'll realize that there's nothing, there's very little that's actually um, 
unique or new in spearfishing. Uh, everything's copied and developed, and that's how it's rolled forward, you know. Um, I don't think there's – I don't actually have a, that much of a problem with that because I think incremental improvement's kind of honest. But at least if you're going to copy something – make an improvement on it or attempt to make an improvement on it. If it's exactly the same, just a lower quality version, like using cheaper materials, then just do yourself a favour and go and do something else, um, especially in, in spearfishing. Like I, I really don't like to see lower quality copycat versions of, of, of products that someone spent a lot of time and energy developing. Yeah, but look, I, I don't know what it's like over there, but, you know, once guys have, have spearfished for any amount of time, they generally, they learn very quickly what the quality materials, quality products are. And from my experience, and most guys, you know, um, it's only the newbies that kind of get cornered with the bad, shitty gear. Yeah, but I'll be honest, it's the newbies that are the growth end of the market and they're always the ones that buy the volume of equipment. And so there's almost a duty there for the experienced people to make sure we're, you know, I don't know, giving, giving, steering people in the right direction. <laughs> I'm not trying to get. Yeah, in South Africa, we don't, I think because Rob Allen is so strong and the price is right here, I mean, we don't see all the Chinese knockoffs of like the Rob Allen gear. I see photos of them and some of the other products that you might get in Oz. When I, no, up until 18 months ago, I traveled a fair bit, so I got to see quite a lot when I traveled. Um, but here we don't really see much cheap, shitty gear, you know. So here we're lucky. Most guys can afford to go and buy Robert and gear straight off the bat. It's very, it's, it's cheap. It's cheap as chips here. And compared to anywhere else in the world, we've got really cheap diving gear. Guys. Along with Adreno today, we are proudly sponsored by PenetratorFins.com. We've got some fantastic news for regular listeners of the show. Larry at Penetrator Fins has put together a special just for you guys. You can save $20 on every purchase of blades or fins. Head along to PenetratorFins.com, choose out the style you like, save 20 bucks, use the code NoobSpear at checkout. Handmade spear guns from the USA killshotspearguns.com have made rugged, functional, simple spear guns utilizing the best components. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com. Save $30 on any timber spear gun. Use the code NOOB. Visit killshotspearguns.com. I want to move back into your article and your yes, video, which is, which is the eight tips for, for making sure you're, you know, you, you have the most accurate spear gun possible. I mean, one of your biggest things in there is about tuning the barb. Yeah. So walk us through that. And, and, and if, if the barb's like significantly out of alignment, how much accuracy are we talking like at the, at the, at the extent of your range? So like, let's say you've got an effective range of like, I don't know, 4.2 metres. By the, by the time that shaft reaches the end of that, uh, like the end of that range, how much sort of difference are we talking in like um, group and the grouping? So we never really thought too much about bobs until double bobs came along. I know the Aussies have been using double bobs for decades. Some of the, I think the, the guys like Barry and stuff like that. But like that tuning of the barb and just flaring out the, the the end of that flopper can make about a 
at normal range, like, like I'm affecting that like a 10 centimeter up or down kind of scenario. So if you're, able, if you're someone who can actually see where your shaft's going when you shoot a fish, um, you can tell if you're shooting a, a high or low on a, um, on a fish or over a fish. And that's where if you could tune it in the water, you can flatten or, or bend them out in the water. You can tune a bob quite, quite easily. But it's, it, does, it makes about a 10-centimeter 10, 10 difference at range, just that little flare. I mean, you can make it do more, but then you're starting to slow the shaft down, I guess. But, I mean, that's a lot of guys battle with double bobs because that top bob pushes the shaft down. It's heavier. So you land up shooting low. So you have to tweak the bottom one just to lift the shaft up and uh, get it accurate. But once you've got around that in your head and you've worked it out, I mean, I can make a double bob possibly more accurate than a single barb shaft because of that, you know. You'd have to watch the video. Okay, cool. So you, 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 you go into depth in the video, yeah, about how, to, about how to do that and how to tune it. But as long as guys have got these touch points, like, okay, where are these potential points of failure? Why is my spear gun not accurate? Um, your wishbone. Yeah, well, just, just to go back on that, and the reason why I put them in that sequence of first rolling the shaft, so if your shaft's straight and you're still shooting high or low, then the next thing to do is to check your bob and tune your bob. So once you've solved the, you know, the height of the shot with the bob, you know, you've checked the shaft, it's straight, tune your bob. If that's correct, you know. Um, work your way on down. Work your way, yeah. So it's, it's a process of elimination of what, what are the most likely things that are causing inaccuracy. And, and a bench shaft's always you're most likely. Um, and then with that goes tuning your bobs to the bridles, I think. You talked a bit about uh, configuration issues, you know, like whether you've you've tried to overpower it or you've either got too big a shaft or too big a rubbers or... Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then obviously the so yeah, straight shaft, the right shaft, you know, um, and, that, and, and that you're going to have to go and look at the other videos or, or just chat to the guys in your dive shop or, you know, just work through making sure that you've got the right shaft on your gun. Don't just assume that it, because it came off the shelf like that, that that's the right um, setup. I've, I've been into, into shops overseas where the guys had ordered Rob Allen spear guns. The, shot, the setups were so horrendous and it wasn't the factory. The shop had specifically ordered the guns set up like that. And I was like, I was like, man, that's horrendous. It's just, um, yeah. And they were, so, yeah, that's, 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 that problem seems to be solved, um, you know, but that's that user error, you know, guys want a certain, the customer's always right, you know, and, but sometimes they're wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, so don't so don't just take it for for granted that it's right. Check it. You know, question, watch some videos. Shooting line setup and uh, wishbones. Yeah, yeah. Let's have a look. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So with the with the shaft, obviously the correct band setup. That's um, you'd have to watch the videos, and then shooting line. This is a an interesting one. So. With roller guns, you're generally going a little bit shorter than you would have with a conventional gun. So with reef fish specifically, like I'll give you an example. Here on our coast, guys would dive with a 110 
conventional gun, just a single band and a seven mil shaft. And that was kind of the go-to for, for shooting reef, reef fish or bottom fish. And that single wrap on that 110 was sufficient for, you know, like your typical four or five meter viz. Um, you could shoot reefies with that, no problem. But the equivalence in that gun, in a, like a 90, but a 90 at a single wrap isn't long enough to get that. Or that single wrap is just at that point where that full wrap range is where you, you're actually hunting. And as you, as you come into the end of your range with, a, with the shaft, it takes up the, the shooting line slack, and that shooting line slack is always lower than the, the barrel of the gun because it's come off the, the side of the gun or the bottom of the gun. And as it takes up that slack, it actually affects the back of the, the shaft, and it causes the, the shaft to do these like, kind of little wobbles. So at the end of that single wrap range, you, you're very inaccurate. And um, so you need to put a double wrap on, and that double wrap then allows the shaft to go past that single wrap distance without any resistance. So that's, that's the one thing with uh, shooting lines. Um, some guys actually use very thick shooting lines, which isn't good. Um, or What, big heavy, heavy gauge mono? Mono is actually mono, like two mil mono. Very, it's, it's, uh, it's quite fast in the water. In fact, so we were testing a whole lot of line, like we were, we were going into the hollow core Dyneema quite a lot because it's just so much, so much stronger than anything else out there. But the problem with mono, um, hollow core Dyneema is that nobody makes a um, hollow core Dyneema that's cylindrical. Once they get over a certain di- diameter, once they get over sort of that one and a half mil diameter to where you want it for shooting line, it actually, it's flat. If you look at it, it's, um, it's, it's a tube, but that then flattens. So oh, well. at a tube, it might be two mils, but when it flattens, it's actually three mils. And when we were having tests for MJK because he wanted to go to New Zealand and shoot bluefin, and we wanted to look for the strongest line that we could, and the like two to two point two um, diameter holocore Dyneema was uh, was actually slowing the shaft down quite considerably in the water compared to compared to even cable. Oh wow! Because of its and it causes a lot of drag. So yeah, shooting lines. Shooting lines are important. That's the standard sort of 1.8 or 2 mil uh, spearfishing dynamo that you get. Um, that's pretty, I mean, it's, it works. It's, uh, it's as good as mono in the water from, a, from, how do you say, efficiency. It's lighter and it's cylindrical, perfectly cylindrical. When you tie a knot, I've done a video on uh, the brake testing on, on dynamo. So these, this Dyneema breaks at about, does your mono break at about 100 kilos. Um, cable's a little bit stronger. And obviously your um, holocord Dyneema is like way stronger than all of them. But it just doesn't, it's, it's a problem with shooting line as far as efficiency. And the reality is that 100 kilos of breaking strain, that's 35 liter floats of pressure. If you want to put it into perspective of how, <laughs> how, how much pressure it's going to take to break this. You've got to have a, a breakaway rig with no bungee line and three 35-liter floats on the surface all together pulling at the same time. So that's 100 kilos of pressure. And you'll never hold 100 kilos of pressure just in your hands spearfishing. 
I mean, you, you'll go down at 20 kilos of pressure. You put 20, you try to hold a 20 kilo weight on the surface. You'll, you'll, you just go straight down. So yeah, disappear. <laughs> so a hundred kilos of breaking strain for 90% of your spear fishing is, is more than good enough. So yeah, I just, I recommend just to stick with standard Dyneema and you can go, I mean, for your small guns, you can go to 1.8 or even 1.5 mil Dyneema. I mean, 1.5 mil Dyneema is like 60 kgs breaking strain or something. Um, I must check my stats. I've always been a sucker for 2 mil mono and, and, and then the, 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 the clips and, 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 and it didn't do me wrong, but I kept chatting to people and they were like, nah, nah, Dyneema is the way to go, you know, like use Dyneema. It's better because you can tie the knots. Like if you have any issues with it, you can just cut cut off the section that's damaged and then you retie your knot and um, it's very easy to, you know, you have that, that quick release knot that you guys have, I think you guys might have created that in South Africa. Pull it, pull your shaft, pulls through your fish, then you just retie it and away you go again. Whereas with mono, sometimes you, you, you get stuck and there's issues and you've got to re-crimp stuff. Unless you've got crimping pliers on the boat, like it can be a bit of an issue. It's not much of an issue, but it's still an issue. And then, but I kept damaging the Dyneema um, where the shaft seats in the mech and I just kept like just fraying it and then, you know, not inspecting it every fish. So. Okay. So that, okay. So two things there, what you're experiencing is you need to go and check the back hole in your shafts that they are smooth and polished. So that's why your Dyneema is fraying. So microfiles. You can't even file that. The only way you can smooth that out if you've got a bad shaft is you've got to take a, a piece of Dyneema and uh, valve cutting paste. So go to your automotive store and get uh, the – there's a paste that you use for cutting the valves in your, um, on the head of your, your cabbie um, if, you've, uh, if they've worn. And you just run that through with valve cutting paste, you know, like you, you, you just pull through – uh, but that's a badly made shaft. Um, there was a guy here in South Africa that was making shafts. In fact, there's two other guys that were making shafts. They, they don't have the equipment. One was wire cutting the hole because, you know, when you're trying to cut or drill a hole in 2000 MPA steel, it's very difficult. So guys cut corners. And if you look in the back, if there's a little bevel or sharp edge, um, it's just, it's no good for Dynema. Absolutely not. Mono kind of survives a little bit longer um, with those shafts, but it's all about the shaft. Yeah, it's about the shaft. Rob Allen, they've got – so they get they get special drills made. They get drilled up and they, um, they flare out at an angle and then they've got uh, a computer drill that drills at just the right speed and pressure on each, each shaft and then they take – that shaft, and then they still go and vibrate them to take off all the, um, to smooth off all the rough edges. And then they, before they go and get uh, uh, plated, they've got a guy there sitting doing the valve cutting paste thing, just doing a double check on every single one. So there's a lot that actually goes into making that back hole um, good. The shafts I was using are very expensive stainless shafts, fin shafts made by a really well-regarded manufacturer, and it just seems like that attention to detail on the back end maybe is a little bit lacking. A lot of people, because they go, oh, we use cable or whatever it is, they don't actually pay attention to that. All right, cool. So, yeah, I mean, like there's American shafts. Um, yeah, so just something to look at. That's something to check out. 
Um, there was something else on shooting lines. Oh, yeah, mono. Mono is great. It's actually got stretch in it. So there are some plus sides tomorrow. The problem is that if it's a nick in it, um, and it's got memory, so you get it coils. You know, if you get a fish that spins, and so now you've got this coily line up at the back of your shaft. Um, there's a few few things that I don't. It's nicking, and it, the fact that it's got a memory for me are, are the two reasons I don't like mono. It's that it's plenty strong enough. You know, it's the same strength as if you do it right. If you've got a good crimper and you know what you're doing, make it the same strength as as Dyneema. Cool. All right, cool. I really like number seven on your on your tips. It was keep all your guns the same. So I think it's just that rinse and repeat. Like if you're using a 1.5 um, with a, you know, 400 mil overhang, then I guess make sure your 90 mil is the same handle mech and same shaft overhang. So um, I've, I've, heard, I've heard this same point and I've started to do it now. Um, but some, sometimes it, it's expensive to get a, a quiver of spear guns. Maybe you've got, even if you've just got three lengths and you're trying to get them all consistent, same shooting line, same reels, same shaft diameter, like it's, it can be, it's, it's expensive. Like, you know, apart from the initial um, purchase of all your equipment when you start spearfishing, really spearfishing is not that expensive. You upgrade one bit of equipment at a time. But spear guns, like that, there is a fair bit of cost and, and, and you could, and arguably fins, when you want to upgrade those or add, that, that can be quite expensive. Yeah. That said, um, when you look at a cost of a spear gun, and how long it lasts you. You know, if you've been spearfishing for 10 years, it's quite easy to accumulate a quiver of guns. Yeah, every birthday, you know, get another gun. <laughs> ten, 10 spear guns. <laughs> One for every year. Um, yeah, no, de- you're, dead, dead ri- you're dead right. I mean, um, you'd have to be an extremely rich person to have a quiver of alimonies at, you know, at the bus that you, uh, an alimony set you back. But I think uh, when you look at, I mean, even, even in Australasia, where you guys are, the States, uh, you look at the price of good equipment, like, like not your cheap end stuff, but your, you know, your, your middle of your road, good spearfishing gear by your main manufacturers. You still, you can't compare that to flipping golf. No, that's true. You can't compare it to, to it, most other sports, rifle hunting, I mean, even surfing to a certain degree. You look at a surfboard, a surfboard and a spear gun are pretty much the same price-ish. And a surfboard might last you two months. <laughs> Depends what you're surfing. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. But, I mean, like very seldom are surfboards something that you, you, you don't expect a surfboard to last you 10 years. But a spear gun, I mean, holy crap, I've constantly got guys coming in here with, 20-year-old spear guns that are still working. And they're still fine. They're still perfect. You know, they're 20 years old plus. And, you know, you go, oh, but a roller gun. And I'm going, well, the, you know, we've stuck, we've promoted things like ceramic bearings and that kind of thing. So that, that should last you 10 years. There shouldn't be anything on there that breaks in 10 years. You know, that gun should, you're just changing the, the rubber and shafts. Yeah. It is expensive, but I think it's if over a course of, of time, you know, you can accumulate gear slowly, slowly. Don't try to cut a corner in the beginning 
Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like the, the big problem I see is guys try cuts a corner in the beginning by going cheap because something is just a little bit cheaper than what a good buy is. Buy good. Buy with the, buy with the intention that you're going to be um, upgrading all your guns to the same manufacturer, same handle, you know, for the next 10 years. So it's not a small decision. Like, think carefully about what you're buying. It's good advice. Tip number eight was remove all doubt, and this is kind of – we've followed a consistent sort of theme here. I mean, confidence in your, in your spear gun is huge. When you have those special moments, you really want something you can depend on and you know what it's going to do. Yeah, for me, there. this is where two guns come into play or multiple guns on the boat, or at very least, if you can't afford extra guns, um, carry a spare rub and a straight shaft for your gun. If I shoot at a fish – and I miss it, and I know it wasn't because I was just taking a flyer or it was a difficult shot, and I, you know, I go like, hang on a second, I shouldn't have missed that. Straight away, especially if I've shot a big fish before, you know, if there's any doubt, I take that gun, I put it on the boat, grab the other gun, I don't even think about it, don't even look at the shaft, load up and carry on spearfishing. So the next time a fish comes, I know that the gun that I've got in my hand is 100%. 95% of the time, I'll square the next fish and I'll move on. And that's, that's super important. I see a lot of guys, they'll, they won't clock that they've bent their shaft on the fish before or, you know, they miss a fish and then they just go, oh, well, I missed the fish. And then they, they shoot again. Oh, I missed the fish again. And then they go, oh, I, sh- I thought, I think I was shooting low, so let me try shoot aim high. And as soon as you're doing that, you, you, you're stuffing around. It's, that sounds remarkably consistent to even hunting itself, you know, like it's like you're on a reef and you can tell that the, whatever has happened, like the conditions just aren't right and you can swim and swim and swim and maybe you'll come across a fish, but you're probably better off just jumping back on the boat and moving somewhere else where, you know, you can see an obvious aggregation or something like that. It's like if, if, there's, um, if you've got doubt, if you've got issues – just remove it and just like put the gun back on the boat, grab another one, and then you're confident again. Because, um, yeah, I, I'm sorry, I, I just paralleled that. For me, it's a sort of a similar thing because I used to swim for, I'll swim for an hour or an hour and a half and there's no fish. And it's like just in the hopes that something's going to change magically. And I started diving with these guys and now it seems just, just completely obvious, you know, like if there's no fish, just get on the boat and move, you know. But like there's that, there's that dumb persistence, you know, there's that work hard, work smarter, not harder. And it's like sometimes you think you can just swim to where the fish are magically going to be. I guess I guess it's the same thing with an inaccurate spear gun. It's like you think that all of a sudden you're just going to shoot your dumb gun into accuracy, whereas you're better off just putting it on the boat, getting another gun, and then having complete faith in it. Absolutely. Like you said, now nah, you – you dived a certain way and then you dived with a bunch of people and then you're like, oh, hang on a second. What have I been doing? I, I, I landed up with, with taking multiple guns, learning that from when I, I dived with a bunch of guys that do a lot of competitive diving and, um, you know, just to kind of raise the level of my diving um, because the, the, the pace that the guys dive at, I mean, you jump off. They swim over to the spot, they dive down. Generally, the first two guys that dive down, they get the, the best two fish on that reef, you know, and then you get back up and you move. And you've got to be dialed in, you've got to be fast. You got to take, yeah. And 
you know, you can't be second guessing your gear and you've got to fail fast. So that I have a, a thing when I'm, when I'm guiding, if I get to a place and it's not working and we're not getting fish, it's better to fail fast and say, we failed here, let's move. Yeah, you can't be puzzling over your gear. You must just have stuff that works. Lobster bags, cray loops, gauges, accessories, made by Sparrows, for Sparrows. Check it out at oldmanblue.com.au. Equipment made to last. If your buddy had a blackout on your next spearfishing trip, think, what would the outcome of that be? Do you know how to revive someone from a blackout? Would you even be in a position to do something about it? Or would you be diving, chasing after a fish as your buddy sinks down to the bottom of the ocean? Do you know where most blackouts happen? Do you know what you can do to minimize your risk of having a blackout? My name is Ted Hardy, and I'm the founder of freedivingsafety.com. In my free online course, you will learn the truth about shallow water blackout, the myth of I don't push myself, I know my limits, I'm in tune with my body, how to minimize your risk of having a blackout, and most importantly, how to save your buddy's life if they have one. Visit freedivingsafety.com to sign up for your free course today. Dive safe out there. It's, it's not even that hard. Do you think it's a little bit of that um, sense of responsibility? It's like generally when you experience failure, whether it's the fish aren't there or my equipment's not working, some people are just kind of like, well, the issue must be with me. Whereas sometimes it's just like, no, no, the the, the factors are external. Either, you know, like you, there's something wrong with your gun or there's something wrong, you know, there's just the fish aren't here for whatever reason. It's like you've got to kind of just take a bit more of an analytical approach rather than just, you know, I don't know, just thinking that you can roll pole your way through it. Yeah, the... I think with, uh, I think a lot of pride and obviously personal factors go into, into anything, you know, um, with spearfishing, I, I do see guys, some guys, they get very, what's the word? Yeah. They're like the equipment. They, they, they can't believe that the equipment, there's a problem with the equipment. And, and I mean, that's one of the reasons why I did the whole unrolling the roller and then into these, so um, these two videos was trying to create a platform where the guys could go learn about like just ways to make sure that you, you think about all these things, you know, not on a consistent basis anyway. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other videos that you focus. Are you still there? Yeah. Sorry. We were having a bit of internet issue again. I'm going to go outside where it's, the sun's come up. So I'm going to go outside where we can, the internet will be better for me. Just as you know, here in Africa, it gets really cold. When it's dark. <laughs> I tell you what, we are the biggest sissies on, on, the, on the planet. It's like 15 degrees and we're in polar wear, you know. It's the same here. It's the same in Queensland. I'm going to find a little sunny spot over here somewhere. Oh, there we go. Good stuff. So the second, <laughs> the second vid you made was um, – was like spearfishing aiming tips and techniques. And the first thing you went into, um, is this something you've been aware of for a long time? Is that the, the sort of the two main sort of different styles of, of aiming? Because it's something that only struck me, I don't know, a few years ago, like that there were these two dramatically different styles of aiming. Yeah, I've been fairly aware of it uh, for, for, for a long time. I think, even longer than I think because 
you know, before I kind of put names and handles to it, you go through the process anyway as a spear fisherman, like when you're trying to work. I mean, I think if you've been spear fishing for any amount of time, you've landed up in a situation where you couldn't hit the side of a barn door and you like, holy shit, like what the hell's going on? And then you start aiming and trying to aim and, you know, you, you try to work through a whole process of things. I think every spear fisherman has gone through that to some degree, you know, and you try point and shoot, I mean, just out of um, trying different things, experimenting, aiming. So um, I think, sub, I mean, it's, it's always been there, but I dived a fair bit with Jeremy Williams from the dive factory yep. over the years. And he's a specialist sort of uh, reefish hunter. He, he actually, he gets brought to tears wait, waiting in the blue for, for game fish. He far prefers to take a small gun and go and, you know, hunt on a reef and shoot bottoms. You know, um, there's actually, there's a lot, it's a completely different skill. I, I, I grew up with a belief that, ah, oh, you know, bad fishermen, spear fishermen go and shoot the small fish. You know, it's all about the big fish. Um, and it's completely the opposite. It's actually the, the big fish are the easy fish and the skilled fish are all the bottom fish. You know, you're diving to the bottom, you're diving deep. That's where you learn all your skills is actually shooting bottom fish. And he doesn't aim. He aims off the tip of his spear. So and he, he doesn't even do a point and shoot. He'll, he'll even have the gun down to the side and he'll just look at the fish and he'll just, at his peripheral vision sees the, the point, the, the spear tip and where it's pointing to, and he'll take the shot, and he's lethal with it. But for him, that length of shaft from the end of the muzzle to the tip of the, the, his spear, if, that's, if that is um, a few centimeters off, he can't hit anything. So like when trying different guns and doing different things, he's constantly got to make sure he, make, he can make his own shafts. But so he always makes his shafts the length so that that overhang is exact, you know. Barrett Harvey's got a good video. If you, if you guys want to go and watch that, um, there's uh, Barrett Harvey from African Spearfishing Diaries uh, did a video in the Trance Guy. Um, if you just go into his channel, uh, look for the video where they, there's a video on the Trance Guy. It's one of the, one of the um, African Spearfishing Diaries videos. And Jeremy, Jeremy Williams is shooting um, Black Muscle Cracker, Punz Corp. And it's, it's possibly some of the best footage of um, guys hunting a black muscle cracker and Barrett's filming Jeremy and you can actually watch, it's, it's, really, it's a really good segment to watch uh, a different hunting technique because you can see he keeps his gun out to the side and he, he, like, he does a point and shoot type of style dive, um, shot. So that's, it's a good example to go and watch. When I was younger, I used to play a lot of pool and... Uh I was really good intuitive player. Like I had zero formal training other than some stuff when I was younger, but I was actually pretty good. And but I know my on days I could clear the table, and um, and I played competitively quite a lot. And I'd show up some nights and I'd be really good, and and then I'd show up other nights and I was just absolutely woeful, like just pathetic. Like people were like, "Why is this guy competing?" You know, and I, I guess this, that's the drawbacks of an intuitive style. It's like you need to know 
the one, two, three steps in order to make your triangulation, you know, that intuitive style work. Do you, th- do you feel like it's the same with the spearfishing? It sounds like one of the main things is a shaft overhang. Yeah. So you need to know that's where your gear comes in. You can't hunt intuitively, you know, your, your aiming technique. If, you know, you talk about your you know, steps before. It's like your foundation. And one of, yeah, so that's why your gear's got to be dialed in and all the same, you know, so that's your first thing. And then obviously you build up to your hunts and, and your approach to the fish and everything will be another point in, that, in, that, in those steps. And I guess that's where the time in the water has a huge, huge effect, you know. Bearing on it, yeah. What about you? What's your personal style? So in the video, I actually mentioned that I, I have a combination of both. Um, and I think it's just from testing different guns and shooting different guns over the years. Because some guns, you know, you can't pick up a new gun and then expect to just, you know, be intuitive, like, or, you know, uh, use the point and shoot. Yeah. You know, so if I pick up a gun that I'm not familiar with, I'll aim with it. Um, you know, just to get an idea where how the gun shoots. And I'll, I'll use a, a, a range of techniques. I mix and match them, actually. Like, um, so in that video, I show where I, I came over a thing and I did a point and shoot on a, on a, on a reef fish. But when I'm hunting things like Spanish mackerel, you know, that thing's cruising along and you can take your gun out and you can actually take 10 seconds to aim if you want. You know, the freaking fish isn't going anywhere. It's super easy, you know. So in those situations, why not aim? So it's kind of what fish I'm hunting, what gun I'm using, and I kind of mix and match between um, those things. Sometimes I try to keep the, the whole points and shoots thing in the back of my mind because it actually helps you be a better hunter, I think. You know, you, you for me, I, and I see it a lot with clients, the guys who – only aim down their guns, they, they dive in their guns, they're like, okay, what am I aiming at? And they, they, they're like scoping with their gun, you know, while they're looking for their target, which is, which is a bad habit. You know, you'd rather want to have your gun in and be small, be, be more maneuverable, have a smaller profile, you know, as if you're going to take a point and shoot and you see your target and you pick your target, put your gun out, and then if you've got time, you can still aim. But you've gone through the motions as it, you're gonna, you've gone through the motions as if you're gonna point and shoot, which force you to pick the right moments, number one, and the right spot in the fish. So you, you, you're watching the fish come in, you go, okay, right, that's the fish that I want. You're going, when is the best time to take the shots? And where am I gonna put my shot? Where am I gonna place the shot? You know, so I wanna put the shots there on the fish, and when's the best time to take the shots? And as the fish moves into position, for that shot, that's when you extend out to take the shots. And if it's a slow fish like a wahoo or a, a Spanish mackerel or something easy, you know, you can then double check and, you know, make sure you, you're aiming. But I think approaching it from the point and shoot thing will make you a better hunter. What about, um, sorry, does target, does target shooting change your behavior? Because it sounds like you've kind of amalgamated some of that into more of a point-and-shoot intuitive style. Yeah, absolutely. So I think if you jump in a pool and you take a couple shots with a point-and-shoot style and you actually get it, like you build confidence in a pool, 
with that, you're going to definitely land up trying it in the sea. You know what I mean? Um, but that's also where that in that video, the last part is what, for the lack of a, a better name, um, I just call it the poke and shoot. As you're going to take the shot, you imagine that you're pushing your shaft through the spots on the fish as you take the, the as you pull the trigger. And that kind of takes away from the aiming a little bit because while you're aiming, you know, often you can't actually, you, you, you're looking at your gun and not the fish. So at that point when you're about to take the shot, you look at the fish where you want the shaft to go and you just push the shaft through that spot. And for shot placement, that definitely improves shot placements. It eliminates the, um, a little bit of the aiming thing of like, hey, am I on the right spot? Um, and it's kind of like uh, it helps with the point and shoot because you go, you know, you're not completely being intuitive. You know, you know, like you were talking about playing pool where you, you're not really looking. You just kind of know where it's going. You're not, you're not doing that at 100% because you, you're getting to that point where you would normally just pull the trigger and now you're focusing on that spot and you're pushing the shaft through it. And that, in, in a way, is actually aiming. And for, for especially for refish, that thing, that's a, a, a really um, – Well, I was just going to ask you, like – um, do you feel like the different styles of shooting are more applicable in different types of hunting? So, like, you've, you've kind of been, like, talking about this, like, blue water. It sounds like, you know, a lot of the time in blue water, everyone thinks everything's going super fast just because they're game fish. But sometimes, I guess, you're, you're arousing their curiosity. They're coming in slow for a look and that's when you're taking your shot. And the water's clean, so you've got more time. Whereas in dirty, in like filthy water, you've got three, four metres of viz and, or 10, 12 feet of viz and then the fish is there and it's gone. Particularly the, you know, the smart fish, they're not hanging around. Like they figure out what's going on pretty fast. So you've only got a split second to take a shot. Taking long shots um, like the – and, I mean, if you look at all the big fish, big target fish, they're generally not hard to shoot, like even a doggy. A doggy is actually not a difficult fish to shoot. They, they swim up to you like an amberjack. It's actually just knowing when to take the shot and what shot to take. Being on the bottom and you, you're hunting muscle cracker or any kind of snapper for that matter, mangrove snapper, you, you don't have time to line up on the fish. It's, yeah, you're, the, 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 and that's why, that's why I think... Refish hunting, the skill of refish hunting is um, absolute key to if, if you want to become a good spear fisherman, you need to, you need to actually, it's one of the schools of spear fishing is learning how to hunt on the reef properly. It'll make you a better spear fisherman. Hey Shrek, Jeremy here, man. I'm back. Just wanted to say the podcast is growing from strength to strength, my friend. Hoorah, man. I just wanted to say thank you for your uh, continual support from the Noob Spiro listeners, subscribing, reading, writing, and submitting kick-ass spearfishing adventures from all over the planet. Your listeners kick-ass and Shrek, my friend, so do you. All you guys, come check out the next edition of Spearing Magazine at spearingmagazine.com. Jeremy out. Yeah, nice. Nice. All right. For people that are going for a bad spot, 
you know, with their confidence, with with accuracy. Like let's just say they've gone through their gun, their setup, and they're confident that their setup's working. Maybe do you, do you think they should jump in the pool to get their confidence back or do you think they should go and smash a couple of like uh, fairly easy fish? Like what? Yeah, de- most definitely. So first things first, make sure your guns, the setup and every, everything is right. The shafts are straight. You l- eliminate the things that you can eliminate, the problems, the issues. Um, make sure that those are sorted out. And then especially if it's a new gun, a pool a pool's great. You'll learn a lot about your gear in the pool. Um, if you've never done it before, it's an absolute must. But yeah, taking a small gun and jumping in and going and shooting non-consequential fish is, is actually key. So guys uh, transitioning into rollers, you know, I have a lot of guys come and they go, okay, I've been diving with uh, conventional guns all my life. I want to get into rollers. Everyone's using them. Read up, read up about them. It's the way to go. So they're convinced to, to move over to rollers but they battle to transition. The easiest way to, for guys to transition is to take a small roller gun and go and shoot non-consequential fish. If you, take, if you go and take a big roller and you go on a trip and it's now all of, do or die, it's a fish of a lifetime, and you're taking a shot with that gun for the first time, you're setting yourself up for massive heartbreak you know, and failure. Um, where you jump in the water where there's no, con- there's like, you know, there's a little bream or something and it's like you're either going to take it home to eat or something that's not the end of the world if you miss it. You know, you can kind of fluff a few shots. and But the reality is when there's no pressure, it's so much easier to, to hunt. So, and this, the pool's got no pressure. You're in the pool, there's no consequence. You can aim up, down, whatever, and you can kind of get a feel for it. The fact of the matter is that like, if you set got a, a well set up ninety or or one ten roller gun, uh, single roller, I don't think there's a single gun on the planet that's going to shoot as good as those. I know from experience, like I, I I did a bit of fair bit of firearm stuff growing up, and you know you get a three oh eight or a thirty odd six, and you head down to the rifle range and you you set up some paper at fifty meters just to um, do your initial you know sight in, and like maybe you got a new scope or you're trying out some new reload, you know you. You know, the range master opens up the range or whatever and you got five minutes, you put ten bullets down range and then they close the range, you go get your target and then you have a good look at it. Or if you're spoiled enough to have like a range finder or some binos or something, you can even look at it and you can see your group and everything's all good and it's very satisfying. With spear gun testing, it's like you get in the water, you take a shot, then you've got to swim up to it, dive down, pull the thing out of the target um, and, and that can be a mission in itself depending on what ter- material you use for the target. Then you reload the spear gun, which takes however long depending on how complicated it is. Do all the bands back up, dive back down again for your second time, and you've got to reset your target up. Like it's a very slow process, whereas, you know, you just don't get that immediate and very easy fast feedback cycle like you do with a rifle. I mean, can you speak to that? Like am I just whinging about no, you, you, you're actually right on target on the reason why um, pull testing, especially when you've got a whole bunch of guns, man, it takes hours. Hours and hours and hours of, and it's that um, whole thing of like take a shot, some more way across there, it's taxing. You know, you, you there, take the shaft out, back, reload, and it's, and it's there where you suddenly realize if you're testing a whole bunch of guns, 
you very quickly learn which guns are are easy to manage and load, yeah. and which ones which ones are which ones are a ball ache. Um, so that's why I say a pool. You actually learn a lot in the pool, you know. Um, but it is back to your point. It's 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 not as simple as a firearm shooting at a target. You know, you could take a shot and you'll go. Mm, I know that I was aiming on on target. I'm a little bit high. Adjust your sights. You know, get it down. Okay, cool. I think I'm right. Okay, let me squeeze off two more shots or three more shots. Check that my grouping's right. Okay, that's good. Let's move the target back or you know, um, you know. Spearfishing is not like that at all. No. And if you want to change something in your configuration, it means taking that whole spear gun out of the pool, going doing whatever you've got to do to it, which is, you know, changing your setup, like even just changing the shaft and bands, like it's half an hour, like, to change one spear gun out. And then what you jump back in the pool and start all over again. Like it's just – it's a very slow, intentional, deliberate, and I think you've got to be a hard worker to do it. Like, um, There's very few very few guys that actually put in a ton of effort into it because they'll do it a little bit and they go, mm, yeah, great, <laughs> and then maybe <laughs> we'll, you know, um, and and because hey, um, I, I think especially in South Africa, yeah, I mean, guys just go, hey, you know, my shaft straight, it's got a rubber on it, and we'll, so it's only the guys who geek out in the gear hard that actually put the big effort in. I think when you've had when you've been sparing a while though, like and you've had a couple of moments where either A, your equipment's failed, maybe it's a configuration issue, or B, you know, you've you've buggered up a real special opportunity, that's when you think, I'm not gonna do that again, you know? And you that's when that's when all of a sudden you've got the willingness and the motivation to all of a sudden spend a bit of time and get it right. But a lot of people just want to walk into a shop, pull something off and go, yep, that's going to do the job. And, you know, there are manufacturers that, that will deliver that kind of performance and some people just want to take it back into a shop and go, oh, here, service my spear gun and give me it back with two brand new of the same bands that I had on when I bought it and away it goes again. So, yeah, but I don't know. There's You know and you understand a lot more if, if you can do a lot of this stuff yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're talking to something where there has been a shift in the in the in the spear in the in the spearfishing market. Conventional guns, for the most part, are a lot more forgiving with the band setups. Um, they're just horrible, whether they set up right or wrong. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> that's just me. You're a roller being a bit of an ass. <laughs> yeah, being a bit of an ass. Yeah. But you know, so. You know, guys, yeah, and they dive with, with, yeah, they just get used to like a bad setup and it kind of works for them. Um, but roller guns, they are sweet spots. And, um, I mean, I've seen so many bad setups and guys putting from shops, putting uh, spear guns together for clients. The guys come on trips and they were set up by, um, by their, their local shop. And you, the guy rocks up on the boat and you go like, oh, wow. You know, that guy in that shop didn't, doesn't understand roller guns at all, you know. So I think there's been a lot of – I think it's getting better and better, you know, as the years the guys are getting more and more educated and um, through trial and error and, 
and videos and the guys out there. But especially uh, over the past few years, there's been some like um, a, a huge lack of understanding on on roller guns specifically. So it hasn't even been a case of like, well, you know, your your local dive shop's going to have the answer to a certain degree. Yeah, you know. Well, you've you've had a big influence on that, Chris. Like, um, anytime I look at a discussion on social media with regards to you know roller guns and pretension, everyone just says go to unrolling the roller you know that blog post that you wrote was uh was like set the set the sort of the standard for guys understanding how to tension and 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 set up their their bands and their you know their shafts all that sort of stuff i mean you've gone on and you've turned that into a into a really well regarded video series on your youtube channel i'd encourage everyone to go and check that out um it's uh it's a pleasure chatting with you chris as always i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm going to wrap this sucker up. Uh, guys can always come and find you. You're at coatsman.blogspot.com. Where else can people come and find you? That's that's the blog. Um, most people just find me on YouTube these days. Just search Coatsman or Instagram. But, uh, yeah, trying, trying to grow the, the video channel a little bit, put some effort into that. Um, it's doing quite well. Well, 50,000 subscribers, it's nothing to sneeze at and it tells people like, uh, you, you know, you know what you're talking about. If people want to check out today's show notes, I'm going to link up the videos and the articles we've um, chatted about today. That'll be at noobspero.com forward slash accurizing because it's a word. It's a word, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> that is the new accurizing. I'm going to yeah. use that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's A-C-C-U-R-I-Z-I-N-G. Um Always a pleasure chatting and um, good to geek out on some spear guns and accuracy stuff because I think it's a it's an issue for any level of spear at some stage. No, it affects everybody. affects everybody. I, when this COVID stuff starts settling down a bit, are you running trips again? What's the story? Yeah, man, it's just, yeah, I've been in forced, forced retirement since uh, April the year before last. So it's been 18 months of, of being grounded. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got some plans. I think I'm going to have to, um, change things up and look at new locations, maybe central, um, central America, somewhere out there. Africa's just kind of, um, shut down. Yeah. And it's, I kind of hoped it wasn't going to be as long as this, you know, um, but it's just dragging on and I can't see there actually being much light at the end of the tunnel. Not, not even for next year. It's, you know, Madagascar and Mozambique's not so hard to get to, but Madagascar's impossible at the moment. So, yeah, but just focusing on the guns, I've had a lot of um, these last 18 months, I've just been working on the guns really. Um, so hopefully that will start spinning off soon. We need the money. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, like, you, you, you you're going to offer me a co-guiding position, I think. So I'll have to come out and join you on a couple of trips, I think. <laughs> oh, I have to do something. Yeah, set something uh, up. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah no, I'm gonna I'm gonna get out there. Um, I'm looking at uh, yeah, changing things up soon and and getting out there and doing some some new things. Um, it's always daunting to start new things, but uh, yeah, we'll get out there and watch the space. I don't want to say anything until it's happening. Yeah, no, nah, fair enough. All good. Well, everyone can come and check it out. Coatsman on YouTube, coatsman.com. Check it out. And uh, awesome to, as, as usual, Chris. Hey, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate it. Good chatting.
Good info as usual from Chris there. Massive thanks to the Coatsman. Check out his YouTube channel, subscribe, do all those good things. If you do want to plan a trip post-COVID in a post-COVID world, Coatsman is definitely one of your go-tos. Exciting things coming up with him. Check it out at coatsman.com. Hey, next week or the week after actually, we're headed to chat with the legends that created Shark Shield. Uh, I haven't even recorded this interview yet. I'm looking forward to getting on the phone with them. If you have any questions that you want me to ask them, send them through, shrek at noobspiro.com. I'd be more than happy to ask them some questions about the Shark Shield. Um, as always, from me, massive thanks for listening. Massive thanks for telling your friends and your family, your mates about the Noob Spirit podcast. It helps the show grow. Really appreciate it. If you love the show even more than the average bear, Go to patreon.com forward slash noobspiro and jump on, become a patron listener. Support the show on an episode-by-episode basis and uh, there's a couple of levels you can get on it and I really appreciate the support. Uh, Every dollar that I get through Patreon, I'm trying to use to fund spearfishing trips around the planet where I get to come and spear with you, uh, interview legends in the local areas and uh, just keep sharing the stoke and making this awesome podcast um well i think it's awesome i hope you enjoyed it today uh 166 with the coatsman i'm signing off today's new spare podcast is proudly brought to you in partnership with adreno spearfishing supplies for your next piece of spearfishing equipment head to adreno.com.au flat rate shipping australia wide huge range of gear Save $20 on every purchase over 200 when you use the code NoobSpiro. Better yet, drop into their Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne or Perth mega stores. Use the code NoobSpiro to save online or in-store. Check it out, adreno.com.au. Are you a US-based diver? Great news. Today's show sponsor, Neptonics.com, have got a deal for you. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off anything and everything at Neptonics.com. Equipment you can rely on, solid gear that works. Even when you get all limp biscuit on it, you'll struggle to break stuff.